0: Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And the Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, dot com Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more.
1: Hello, media consumers. Welcome to the Press Box. Brian Curtis of The Ringer here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. Today's guest is Fox announcer Kevin Burkhardt. This offseason, Burkhardt had what on Twitter we call some personal news. After nearly a decade of calling games as Fox's number two announcer, Burkhardt is now Fox's number one announcer, replacing Joe Buck, who went to ESPN. That means Burkhardt gets to call this year's Super Bowl with his partner Greg Olson, and call games with Tom Brady at some um, undefined point in the future. Now here are a couple of interesting things to consider about Burkhardt. Number one, every announcer who gets to a certain level in this business has at least one superpower. As former Fox executive John Entz told me recently, Burkhart has the power to appear comfortable on television. Partly it's that Jim Halpert presence he has on camera at the beginning of games, Partly it's his lack of a sing-songy announcer voice, but there is something about Burkhardt that puts viewers at ease. Point number two comes from a different Fox executive who reminds me that the people who watch NFL games don't really get to know announcers until they make a big call, till they contribute a helmet catch or a Kirby Puckett homer to the eternal soundtrack of sports. Burkhardt hasn't really had a chance to make a call like that. So for a lot of people who watch Vikings Packers on Sunday, Burkhart will be somewhat undefined. Let's take a stab at defining him. Here's Kevin Burkhart. All right, Kevin, you grew up in New Jersey. When did you first get the idea of being an announcer?
2: Um, I was young. I mean, I was um, I, I wasn't I wasn't a good athlete, so I was like, well, I love sports, so maybe I could just talk about it. You know, so we. Um, it was probably um, maybe eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, we started announcing games on Nintendo into a tape recorder. Mm. Yeah. You know, I don't know uh, if you're a big Nintendo guy, Brian, but like uh, Bowl and Baseball Stars, you remember those? Sure. So that was like all we played. So we had the double deck tape recorder and we would, you know, we'd record and, and have, you know, announce the game. And then when the game was over, we would do the post game show. So we would do the post game and then on on, we'd put another tape in and like, let's go back to the second inning when this happened and play like the tape because that's how they used to do it. So it probably started there. And then in high school, we didn't really have much of a, of a program. Like we had, I forget, I forget what the class was. It was like AV class or whatever it was. So they had like one camera and like one microphone. So buddy of mine said, well, can we go to the high school games and do the game? So we literally would drag the camera and the mic, and we'd sit at the top of the stadium and announce the games, and they would run it on public access in Bloomfield, New Jersey. So pretty young is, is when the itch kind of started. That, that was my beginning of my career on Nintendo.
1: When Tecmo Bo Jackson ran into the end zone, did you lay out?
2: <laughs> that's a great That's a great question. See, actually, I played Tecmo Super Bowl. So that was the one where, like, Randall Cunningham was unbelievable because you could pass around. He was, like, the ultimate weapon in that game. Um, but I remember... Um, we announced the whole year and I got to the Tecmo Super Bowl and Neil Anderson on the Bears like tore me to shreds. And I was upset. I threw like a notebook down the stairs. It just, it was tough. It was a tough loss.
1: I read that Gary Cohen, the Mets play-by-play announcer, was a childhood idol. What about the way he called a game? Spoke to you.
2: Everything, really. Um, I just, I for me, like when I was a kid, I mean, I, well, I loved his voice and I, you know, I love the Mets. So that was an easy one. But it was... It just—he always had command of everything, you know. He always had command of everything, and he, like everything he did, whether it was you know just the simple the simple uh, mechanics of play-by-play or telling a story, or certainly the big calls. You know, I remember we had this little, you know, Toys R Us above ground three-foot pool in our backyard. We had a small backyard, and like that's what like, you know, we we didn't have a lot uh, a lot of room or a big house or anything, and um, so we always had the Met games on the radio in in the summer. You know, and he, it was Bob Murphy first for me, but then him, it was just, you know, he, something big would happen. I would like jump out of the pool because it was just, it was so big. It just felt so big with Gary. And then when I got to work with him, you know, seeing the work that he put in, it was just, it just, I, I liked him even more, honestly.
1: Someone who knows you told me Kevin is 98% an incredibly nice guy and 2% Jersey.
2: (laughs) That's an amazing quote. Um, I, I could probably guess a couple of people that might've told you that, um, but it, it definitely fits. I would say, yeah, I'm pretty laid back. I think I'm, uh, you know, I've been in California for a decade and I feel like I've taken on the California vibe and I, I've always been pretty laid back. Like I'm, it's just, I don't know. It's too much work to, to not be, but like, if I get to that point, uh, where, um, the Jersey comes out, um, then yeah, then I, I could get angry. It takes a lot to get there though, boy. I mean, it, but. I can get there. it's in there.
1: What brings it out?
2: Well, it used to be alcohol <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you get to a certain point, especially when you're a kid, and like then it just comes out like you can't do anything about it, but now that i'm forty eight um it's really I don't know. it's really you know, we grew up just busting chops nonstop and needling all of our friends so it it just takes a lot. I mean people really have to be a People really have to be a total asshole to me or my family for it to really come out, to be honest. I just I just don't see a point in acting that way.
1: You went to William Patterson College in New Jersey. Late 90s, you get out of college, and you start working at WGHT, which is a type of radio station known as a daytimer. For the uninitiated, what is a daytimer?
2: It is a station that turns off at night, no joke. Just off the air. Just there's a switch, transmitter goes off, and we're done. So in December when the sun goes down at 4.30, we're off the air at 4.30. It's the craziest thing of all time. Wow. Yeah, that was my first gig, and th- it was this local station that, um, you know, people in North Jersey are listening, they'll remember it, but those around the country will have no idea, and, you know, it was like, it was local, it was an oldie station, but it was like local news and community events and high school football, and um, it was great, but it was like the craziest thing of all time, like, we would be doing high school football games Saturday in December, like, my God, this game's running along. I hope it ends so we don't get shut off. You know, (laughs) it's, that's what it was. So it was, uh, but it was, it was a great start. It was a perfect start for me. I learned a lot. You're calling high school football there. Yeah. I
1: read in a New Jersey paper, these broadcasts were actually pretty elaborate. 45 minute pregame spot, play by play and color commentary of the game. And then a 45 minute postgame recap
2: are the guy that owned the station, John Silliman. And then the engineer, Tom Niven, who, uh, I became really close with, and um, they weren't sports guys, but they understood the the local angle of it, and so they essentially let me run. I, I just came with these ideas, and I'm like, hey, like I wanted it to be like the pros, but high school. So I just came with these ideas, and they let me run with it. I mean, like it, it got to the point where um, I would hire people, and we were trying to do like in-game updates. So. I have no concept technologically wise or or, um, how to do it. So came up with this crazy system. And remember, this is like in the early days of cell phones when I was there, right? So this is when pagers were still there. So no joke, this is how we did it. I wore a pager. And so what's to say, Brian, you're at a game, another high school game, and somebody scores. So you call into the studio. There's a guy in the studio recording it. You give the update. And then that guy in the studio records it and he has it like on a cart. Again, it was not digital. So he pages me with a code like 1111. Oh, that's the Pompton Lakes game. So I'm like, and then I just hope to God he's ready to hit play. I'm like, all right, let's get an update from Pompton Lakes with so-and-so. And he would hit play and the thing would run. So it sounded like we had like this unbelievable arm. I just made it up as I went.
1: That's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's like NFL Today of
2: that's what we tried to do. New
1: Jersey high school football,
2: and they let me. I mean, our our budget for for what the station was like. I mean, I had like five cell phone contracts and pager contracts and hiring all these freelancers on Saturday, but it was a hit. Like the people in the community loved it. It was like, I think it was as good as we could make it be for a one thousand daytime radio. You know, it was fun. I mean, we poured all of our energy into it. It was pretty cool.
1: You're in your twenties at this point. Is the goal to be a network play-by-play announcer?
2: I, I, I mean, yes and no. Right. Like, did I, did I say when I was at that point, like getting updates on a pager that I was going to do the Super Bowl for Fox? Probably not, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, I always, I loved, especially football play by play. It's what I always wanted to do. And so I, I, I thought that in the future that I wanted to do it at a high level, but I mean, I could never imagined like this in my wildest dreams back then.
1: How long were we at the station? Eight years, long time. That's a long time. Just
2: trying to get breaks and trying to figure it out. Yeah, it was there a long time. It was my first job out of school, and I was there for a while.
1: You're sending your tape off to other people saying, hey, I'm doing this. Will you hire me for your yeah. slightly higher wattage radio station? Yeah, I was
2: sending, you know, I mean, I I, you know, I got like small things. Like I did independent minor league baseball off of that, the New Jersey Jackals. Um, I did like a bunch of small little gigs and just trying to get people to respond, let alone hire me. Just like. Can you get back to what i sent you just tell me if i'm terrible just anything so it was it was tough you know and there's no you know there's we're sending out i'm sending out cds or tapes there's i'm not sending out clips to youtube you know it's a little different
1: what'd you do after wghd
2: um sold cars so it wasn't exactly on the direction towards fox at that particular time
1: this is pine belt chevrolet in New Jersey?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff and just trying to kind of grind and, and move up. And I, I knew I was, um, in my heart of hearts, I knew I was good enough to to move forward. And I just couldn't get anybody to even, like, respond to tell you anything, right? So, it was just hard getting gigs and finding out how to get people to talk to you. So, um, I, you know, I just said, okay, i have just kind of frustrated and I opened up the Sunday classifieds and was sick of just kind of hitting my head into a brick wall, and I just put my finger down. It was on a car dealership in Eatontown, New Jersey, and I said, all right, well, I'm going to go work there. Literally what I did. Walked into the place on Monday, and I said, uh, hey, here's the ad. And Is it like, ever sold cars before? Nope. Ever sold anything before? Nope. All right, you're hired. Go ahead on the floor, and then walk out on the floor, and I had literally no idea what I was doing there, and it's... You know, that that was the training. So I was just trying to, like, figure it out, like, survive. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. What was the easiest kind of Chevy to sell? Hmm. I probably sold – I probably sold um, – I would say probably Malibu's were the, the the car that I sold the most. I sold a lot of Tahoe's, too. But they none of them were particularly easy because – I don't know if it's changed. It's been a while. But, like, there was not a – you'd be amazed. There was not a lot of leeway between what the new car costs, like what the, what the dealership had, and then you know, like what you had to make money. There was not a lot. So if you negotiate a little bit, it kind of disappears. Like I would sell a, a $40,000 Tahoe and my cut would be $50, no joke. Wow you made money on like units you would like so if i hit whatever i don't remember what it was but 12 units per month then then all of a sudden i get i get a bigger bonus but like yeah people would be like no way i was like yeah you'd sell it crazy like if the negotiation went a certain way like it we didn't it's just it dependent on like incentives there were all these different things so people would come in and they would just grind you to nothing and then i'd be like listen either take it or leave it like i gotta move on i've spent four hours i'm gonna get 50 dollars. like i'm just over this you know what i mean and um, it was, it was a good learning experience for me.
1: Is there a skill you learned selling cars that helped you as a broadcaster?
2: Oh, immensely. Um, immensely. It just, it, I think the biggest skill, maybe not a broadcaster, but just in life in terms of just negotiating and asking what you want, like asking for what you want, right? I'm always just kind of like, ah, I'm not going to rock the boat. It's not my style. Um, you know, just kind of let it be. So it just told me like, if you don't ask for Well, if you don't ask for what you want, you come in to buy a car and I don't try to get the price, you know, from you that I need. Well, I'm never going to get it. So then I have no chance of making money and putting food on the table for my family. So once you go through that and realize, okay, if you don't ask for things that you want in life, well, you have no chance of getting it. Worst they could say is no. I just never really knew that. You know, maybe this is me being naive or just my personality. So it taught me that. So I never didn't ask for something ever again after that. Not in a, you know, a, a negative or a, a rough way, but just, you know, it just taught you to be like, okay, this is how you have to do it. You have to move forward. You know, talk about things, ask for things. You know, taught you how you have to um, deal with people. I think I was always pretty good relationship wise, but um, just all those really life lessons that I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, it, it was the best thing I ever did. Certain basics of human interaction, for sure. For sure. And just, you know, you get, let's face facts. You go into this thing that I, first I kind of did as like, I was so frustrated as almost like a joke to myself. And then you dive into it and then you're really doing it. Um, And it's like, okay. You know, the other part of it is, is that it's like, okay, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to give the broadcasting another try? So it was motivating. It was big time motivating for me just in terms of, okay. It was kind of my reset. Maybe the luck didn't go my way. I believed in myself that I was better and could do better than where I was broadcasting-wise. So that was like the shot, you know, in the backside that I needed to move forward. I was like, okay, had my break, did this. Now let's just go and fucking ask for what I want. For what I want. If I don't get it, then I'll, I'll take it to the house. I'll do something else. I'll be content. But if I never did go back into it, I would have been mad at myself. You know, if I just ended it there and never went back into broadcasting, I would have been like, what if, what if? So that was my goal after that. It's like, just ask, go forward and like, you know, be who you can be. If they say no, they say no. And then you move on.
1: What's the gig that gets you out of selling
2: Chevys? Um, WCBS AM in New York and WFAN. You know, I'd gotten in <clears throat> at a very part-time level at CBS, like right when the car dealership thing happened, I was like, you know, way down the depth chart. Like I needed somebody to get sick and someone else to have a baby, someone else to leave town, like way down to get like a, a shift. And then I I got a couple <clears throat> and my, my boss who owned the dealership, you know, I was like, hey, I, can I leave early? I got, you know, and he's like, he was great. He was always so supportive. He's like, all right, go ahead. And then he heard me driving home. He's like, you weren't kidding. Like you really... And so we had a long talk and he's like, all right, listen, anytime you want to leave, if you have work like this, you let me know. It's our little thing. As long as you work hard while you're here and, and sell, like, you know, that's our agreement. I was like, so he was amazing. So I was like, boom. So I started getting a little bit more and then I started getting part time at WFAN um, because one of the bosses at CBS um, I guess technically it was Shadow Traffic at the time, the umbrella, but it was Eric Spitz, who was at the fan for a long time and then went back to the fan. I'm sure, you've heard the name. He's now at Sirius. He's great. He's one of my, you know, mentors really. So he went back to the fan and I just called him again, the card I just called him, I was like, hey, you know, Spitzy, like, I, I think I'm good enough to work at the fan. So I want to come in and audition. He's like, Okay. How about Friday? And I was like, wait, are you serious? Or are you just like so you know what I mean? It was like one of those full circle things and I was like, yeah. So I went in and they put me on their roster too and slowly but surely I started getting some backup shifts or overnight weekend shifts for them. So it just, once I took myself out of hitting myself against the wall and so frustrated that it was eight years at WGHC and couldn't get anything, it was making 17 grand a year. Once I took myself out of that and kind of reset, it opened my eyes to everything else.
1: You eventually became the Jets reporter at FAN? Yeah. What was your biggest scoop on the
2: Jets beat? Um, I don't know if I had a real big scoop. I mean, I was—I I did, I wasn't like just, that wasn't my only thing. I was like Jets, talk show hosts, updates. I did a little of everything. Um, I mean, when they hired Eric Mangini, I, I i knew he was the front runner and i I threw it out there and I had it but then someone else actually broke it. So um, I don't know if I really broke any big time stories. To be, It's probably not my, my forte, but it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a good, and again, another good learning experience is to be around and cover a team like that. Um, first time I had a chance to, to cover like a pro team on an everyday basis.
1: As you know, there are a lot of people in this business who go to Syracuse, get a AAA A baseball job at a college, and then are calling football games on cable. 2 years later college football games do you think you call a football game differently because you went the way you did
2: i think i'm i think i'm better now because of the way i did like i don't think there are a lot of people that you know like there are a lot of people that, like you said that take that route and they're just fantastic off the off the jump and they get in early and they succeed and kill it um i don't know that i would have been one of those i i think i needed the i think i needed the path i needed to be where i am now cuz like um, I don't know, you just, I'm so much better than I was when I was in my twenties. I mean, so much better. And I just, my understanding, my style, my, um, I don't know. I I think I was just clueless. Not that I'm not clueless now, but I'm a little less clueless. You know, I, 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 I needed the time and the experience and the reps at the lower places and all the things that I did kind of built me into what I am like all like the radio background sideline reporter working overnight selling cars like that's all my DNA so I personally if I came out and got that job and was doing football right away I don't think I would have made it that's just the way I feel
1: become the Mets field reporter on SNY starting in 2007. how'd you get that job
2: well, it was from WFAN, really. Um, I was at WFAN, and, you know, there's so many eyeballs and uh, eyeballs because it was on Yes at the time. They simulcast some of the fan on Yes. And then just everybody listens to the fan. So I had started doing, by covering the Jets, SNY had me on a couple times as, like, you know, Jets reporter. Um, I think I actually hosted a show as, like, a fill-in one time. <clears throat> so I I kind of got in the door a little bit with them, just doing a couple of things. And then from what? Uh, well, what he told me is, um, which certainly didn't hurt is I was hosting a show. It was some holiday, maybe it was like Memorial day weekend. Um, you know, and Fred Wilpon, the owner of the Mets was driving around the car and he heard me and he's like, this guy's pretty good. And so when my name came up in the mix, he's like, oh, I heard that guy on the fan. He's pretty good. Like, let's like, he's like agreed to it because because of that so I guess I got Fred in his car at the right time and when I was in the mix for s and because I had gotten on their radar like he had to give the approval and he say yeah kind of like that dude so just timing you know good luck in timing but really like the fan opened the door for me to get in S Y and get that job
1: when we watch a baseball game we see the field reporter pop in what half dozen times a game what's a good pop-in
2: a good pop-in is is a pop in that's just not you're just not doing it to say I had four hits. It's really what it comes down to. I mean, how many games do you watch where it's like that was a waste of time? A I lot. need I need to be
1: on television because it's yeah, the fourth like, inning. oh,
2: I haven't been on TV yet. So the best advice I I got um when I started, you know, and I was talking to people but trying to figure out the role, like how do I do this? How do I how do I sideline report and do it for a full season of baseball games? And our producer, Greg Picker, who's still the producer for us, and y we had a long talk and he said, listen, I could care less how many times you're on a game. Does it matter to me? Does not matter if you, excuse me, if you come to me and um, one day you have 10 things, next day you have none, that's totally fine. I'd rather you work on substance and you know work on good stuff. And when you're on, it's good. Or if you're listening to the broadcast and you have something like pertinent or fun to add, great. I'm not going to sit here and be like, okay, third inning, it's time for your first hit. Fifth inning, time for your next hit. And that was the best thing I heard because I was like, okay. Because I like to be creative. And, and also, I didn't know what I was doing. I you know, I was trying to figure out the job. So instead of like worrying like, oh, my God, I've only got two hits today, it was like, okay, these are all my ideas. I'm going to work on them. And like, Greg, today I've got a ton of stuff. And he's like, well, let's do this and this today, and then we'll see where we go. Or like, you know, you get to the point where you're just – mid-August and you're out of gas and you're exhausted and you have nothing. He's like, just listen to the broadcast today and chime in. And, and I was like, okay. You know, so it's like, it was just so freeing to be able to be creative uh, and, and not worry about like, oh my God, I didn't get my, my hits today. It's, it didn't matter. It was the best thing ever because it just allowed me to expand. And he allowed me to do some, just some crazy stuff that I haven't seen, I hadn't seen sideline people do before um, you know, send it down to me and I'm doing play by play. Like, and that's because Gary like was cool with it. How many guys would be cool with that? How many guys would be cool with sending it down to a silent report? And then the guy calling a home run, nobody, I don't think anybody, but Gary was like, just do it. Like if it comes down to you. Just take it. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's
0: Thomas's presents
2: pondering the bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah,
0: a toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So you're in SNY for a number of years. How do you get back to calling football?
2: Let me think of the time frame here. I think, um, yeah, what it what had happened is like my next thing is that I wanted to do. You know what I missed was doing play by play. So I did play-by-play at GHT all those years, high school football, but then I didn't really do it for a while because they're hard gigs to come by, right? You don't find those growing on trees. So I had at one point, you know, I I had asked my agent to just get me a game just so I could have a tape, like high school game for free. It doesn't matter just to get me something. And then at S&Y, they, you know, they knew that I wanted to do play-by-play too. So like, okay, we're going to put you on spring training and... Uh, you know, Gary didn't take many days off because he's a beast. So I was like, Oh, well, Gary's off, we'll give you his couple of games. Like, so I was like we're gonna try and get you reps, which is what I needed. And then um there was a there was a college bowl game for Compass Media Networks on New Year's Day. I forget the year, I'd have to go back and look. Um, but there was like one of those situations where the guy was gonna do it, couldn't do it, and they had a, you know, few days' notice and they're like, Hey, do we have anybody? So my guy's like, Oh Yeah, you know, I have, you know, Kevin Burkhardt and he's doing this. And so the person who was hiring for it, Michelle Salvatore, worked at the fan as an assistant to Mark Chernoff when I was there. So I knew her and she knew me. So she's like, oh, yeah, sure. That would be great. Let's have Kevin. So that was my like reentry into the football play by play world for the first time in a long time. And then that went okay, And then I got some more games for them the next year. And then I started getting games. So it kind of one thing led to another. I started building up my tape again. These are radio games. Radio, all radio. Mm-hmm.
1: So you get hired by Fox in 2013. Yep. Had you called an NFL or called a football game on television? No. This is the first one. That's a pretty big projection by them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I. So I called football games on TV in college at my college campus station. But they were uh, look, they took a big shot on me. They, you know, they went off of my, you know, look. I obviously had done been on TV for SNY, so they were hoping that I could handle TV, um, which I think I proved that I could, but as far as the fo- the, t- the um, TV play-by-play, they were going off of radio play-by-play. They went off of my, I was doing Cowboys radio, same company, Compass had a deal with the Cowboys, so they had like a national Cowboys um, network, they put me on that for a couple years. You know, um, Eric Shanks hired me off that tape, said, all right, well, I see him on TV, I like the way he sounds, and the <laughs> Pretty amazing when you think about it. Talk about like taking a shot on someone. They took a big chance. Um, so, yeah, luckily, I guess 10 years later, I haven't screwed it up too bad.
1: And it's a total reversal of earlier in your career. You can't give, get somebody to give you a marginally better job in New Jersey radio. Right. And now Fox is looking at you like, we'd like to put him on the
2: NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you have that, that former car salesman who like, hasn't done any TV games. We'll, we'll take him. That's just, yeah, right. Like, totally nuts.
1: Would you have to get better at going from radio to t v at least in terms of play
2: by play I just had to l I just had to learn it, so you know i you know I grew up on summer all Madden. like our family was like diehard football fans, so like I in the back of my head, I was like, okay, radio, nut like shut up, don't talk like it's t v you don't have to describe everything, you know, like just kind of going through that like leading up to the season and preparing myself for that. But until you actually step in and do it, um you don't know exactly how it's going to go. So I had to find my style. I mean, I had a style how I call games, but it's totally different. And then I was just really lucky because um, you know, our crew was so good. Our producer Pete Machesca been around forever, done the World Series forever, and, you know, done football for a long time. Our director Artie Kemner had done Super Bowls. Like, I was with really good people who knew what they were doing. And so like the first game on Fox, I was doing the Bucks at the Jets, which for me was awesome because it was in New York and I wasn't scared about that. I mean, I grew up there in New York, you know, I've done done plenty of media there. Whereas like some others may be like, oh, New York, like didn't bother me. But like, what was great is like throughout the whole game, you know, Petey's in my ear, he's like, all right, kiddo, just remember like this and like, you know, he's got the big North Jersey accent, <clears throat> you know? and it was the best so he just kind of guided me along like just you know helped me out and like did the first game and i was like all right and you know i kind of after that was like all right kind of know like how i have to go about this and trying to find my style and craft my style so yeah i i, I didn't know how it was i didn't know what i didn't know I, I had not done a tv football game until week one 2013 in new york
1: how long did it take to find your style
2: um I mean, I'd, I'd say midway through the first year, but realistically two years. Two. So you felt at ease going No, in just I, I would say like uh, midway through the first year until I started to figure out exactly like how I wanted to do it and like what was good, what was not, like get away from radio. Um, I mean, you know, so like, and we, we got in a groove pretty quick. I, you know, John Lynch was my partner and he was just awesome to work with. So like, I felt like we found a groove and I started to figure it out. But I, I would say, re- you know, Two years, then I started to feel like I have a style and I have like, this is, this is my way. You know what I mean? Like to really feel like in command of the whole thing.
1: What do you want your sound to be like when you're calling a football game?
2: I want it to feel like it's a big game. I want people who turn on and whether they see me or not, whether they hear it, to, to feel like it's a big game. That's, what, that's, the, that's the ultimate goal. I could care less about anything else.
1: When I was talking to people about you, the word that kept coming up is Likeable. Kevin is very likable. Is it important for you to be likable on the air?
2: One hundred percent um don't you when you watch when you watch TV don't you want to feel close to the characters that you're watching? I mean, you know I, I think when you're when you're look people are going to watch games no matter what, right? so they're going to watch games, but you can either really make that experience more negative or you can really enhance the experience um pre and post game shows. People are gonna watch those things, but if they feel like people that they're watching are their friends, they're really gonna watch it, right? So yeah, being likable is hugely important. I mean, I, I, I and I, I gotta tell you, Brian, like I, the only way I know how to do that is to be myself. People, I love the fact that people told you that. I hope people feel that way. I certainly would want people to feel that way, but I try to be on TV the way I am, if I'm at a restaurant with buddies, like I, I don't know really another way to do it. I think if you fake it, people see right through it.
1: It sounds really obvious. I want people to like me, but there have been a lot of people that are really, really successful in this business who don't come off as terribly likable necessarily on TV and don't really seem to care about it that much.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, everybody wants to be liked. Liked, I would that's, think. Di- that's different. Correct. But being likable, I, I just think it's, I think it's such an important cog. I mean, I can't tell you... How many people like with our with our postseason stuffs? Like, oh, I love watching you guys. Like, it feels like I'm just hanging out, shooting the breeze with you and Frank and Poppy and Alex. That's the point. Like, you know, I want to feel like I'm at the table with you. Like, we're just talking ball, and you're there too, right? Like, so when the game comes, like, you know, I'm a little bit of a goofball, right? So I may do something or say something. Maybe not everybody likes, but I don't know. Like, it's just who I am, right? Or maybe not everybody likes a certain call, or maybe I. Uh I don't know. I I just think I think it's such a big deal when you're spending so much time in people's living rooms, you know, it sure would be better for people to be like, "Oh, you know what? I, I like that guy Kevin. Like he he seems like a good dude." Rather than "I hate this guy." <laughs> right? I don't know if I want to watch this. So I don't know how you're coached to do it, but I think it's like the most important thing
1: want to ask you about your partners you mentioned Lynch now the GM of the 49ers what kind of stuff did he want to talk about during a
2: football game he was um, he was so good at um, teaching he would i got compliments from people that didn't know the game that well you know we're just like sunday casual watchers or fantasy uh, football people and said man I watch you guys, like John will take a play and I have literally no idea what's going on. And the way he diagrams and explains it, it's like, oh, now I understand why that happened. So he was just so good at teaching. I mean, I learned, I would be next to him. I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't, you know what I mean? As the game's going on. So I think, I mean, he was great at so many things. He was such a good teammate. It it was so easy to see why he was such a leader playing because he was a leader of our group broadcasting, like the whole group, you know, he would... Give us talks and bring us in and pep us give us pep talks and just like he he you just followed him um that's what he did well
1: you told me this story one time it was a fox seminar i believe and there was always a little drinking in the bar after after hours and you know people would sometimes do a little karaoke and what was lynch's favorite music
2: god bless america he would sing god bless america it was the greatest I mean, John, so, you know, yeah, we would, you know, we had a seminar, I like think it's all Fox people and, um, you know, yeah, we have some meetings and we go through some, some very helpful things, some rules things. And then there's just team bonding, right? You're just bonding with your, with your teammates and your coworkers. And, you know, we'd all have a couple and we're having a good time. And then uh, John would get everybody's attention, you know, kind of like he's breaking down the team meeting of the Super Bowl and said, you know, here we go. And he would lead God bless America. And you better darn sing it with him.
1: So all the Fox announcers are are chiming in.
2: It's oh, like you better ch- a rousing he, chorus. If he of. looks you in the eye, you're not chiming in. Like I, you know, I don't want to be hit with by John Lynch, <laughs> which <Brian>? Hubert. I, I <laughs> feel like that would really hurt.
1: No, I'm all good. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would. I would put on my best patriotic fervor. I think too. he was. A,
2: he, he's. He's not was. I mean, he's. He's just a beautiful human being, man. He's so much fun.
1: You were a guy earlier in your career here who was brought in to audition prospective announcers when they would come in and get a look? Yeah,
2: I, I mean, this is the first year I haven't done that. I've I've auditioned people every single year.
1: You auditioned Greg Olson? Mm-hmm. What'd you make of him?
2: He was the best audition I ever did. Why? Um. Well, first of all, I had a little relationship with him. I, I called his high school football games. Um, so think about that. Talk about coming full circle that, you know, I knew his dad well. Um, you know, I broadcast some of his games, so I knew him as a kid. I mean, so there was that. And... And then, you know, you come in and he's sitting here in Fox and, you know, I mean, he's in prime of his career, so I don't know like when this is going, but he's smart enough to say, okay, let me do this because maybe down the road, I'll have a career in this. But he came in and we just clicked and then he was just so good. Like these, these auditions are so hard, Brian. Like you sit here, you know, in a setting, like in, in a little technical closet and you have the TVs or monitors just like this and you're doing a game that's already happened and you know you can't see the field so you're just going on what's off the monitor it's a sterile environment so you have to be excited and be like oh like it's really hard so you kind of look for okay what do they do well or what do you think they could be if this were a real game or a real broadcast and he was just pointing out stuff on the tv on the monitor and like his energy level was great like we're sitting down in a chair like this and he was like a dark room and it's like his energy and he's like and i'm just sitting there like midway through i'm like good god he is good like he i'm i I was thinking he could do it now you know and that audition was i mean i have to really go back i mean 2015 maybe i mean it was a while ago so he had plenty of years playing but I, i thought when we did it i thought he could have done games right then and there that's how good he was
1: he comes off the field with you his first full year in the booth i know he did some games for fox was last year how do you help a first year analyst as a play-by-play guy
2: you just you spend time with them number one so a lot of time on task a lot of phone calls a lot of dinners um i don't think there's anything that could i don't think there's anything that could take the place of that not only getting to know them what makes them tick what their thoughts are what their philosophies are and then it's just it's just Having their back, like knowing like what's important to them, what their thoughts are. If they stumble, you could pick them up. Um, Just constantly saying, "Hey, when we do this, we're going to do this," or when I do this, like you know, I'll lay out for you and give you an opportunity to talk. Or you know, if the producer is asking for this, just this is what we're looking to do. So it's just like you know, it's you have to take it like a like a baby giraffe, like you know they're they're learning how to walk. You, You know, like you think like, oh hey. You know, he's here's this all this Pro Bowl tight end, one of the greatest tight ends ever played. He'll just come in and know how to do. T- I think everyone thinks you just walk in the booth and know how to do TV. It's so hard, and being a game analyst is the hardest thing there is. There's it. The whole broadcast revolves around you and your decision making, and you know some of the replays that you like, what you want to draw. It's it's a lot. So it's just really just talking with him and trying to make it fun and having good chemistry and like. Just letting, him like, hey, I got your back. Like, if something goes wrong or if you stumble or whatever, like, we're good. Like, I'll handle it. Or I'll like, hey, I've got all this. You just do this. I'll do everything else. Just to make them at the beginning be like, okay. But he's a quick learner, man. He is smart. It did not take him long to start, like, understanding. And he asked so many questions, like, each week. Okay, what about this? Okay, got it. Never had to tell him again. Mm. I mean, it's incredible how quick he is. So that's the mindset with anybody that, you, that you're starting with. It's just trying to kind of help out as much as you can. Questions about the mechanics of TV? A lot kind of, of that, for sure. They don't know, right? Like, just like the, the, the basic stuff. Hey, we're running a replay. Uh, what's considered this? Do I talk now? When, when to shut up? When to telestrate this? How are they supposed to know? They have no idea how a truck works or how, you know, talking back to people during a game. People are talking in your ear during a game. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of the mechanics, for sure.
1: Big chunk of the last decade, you're doing the baseball studio for Fox. Mm-hmm. You're on the number two NFL team. When does potentially being a number one guy at some point in your career enter your mind?
2: I mean, it, it never did until until Joe left. Never. I mean, I think like I think Brian, like you, you know, you go up and even as a kid, you're like, oh man, like one day I want to call a Super Bowl, right? Like when I was doing Tech Mobile, like, of course. And like when I'm here, when I get to Fox and you're like, of course. Like maybe, you know, you're thinking, man, it'd be cool to do a Super Bowl one day. Everyone in the world asks you. Your friends ask you. People ask you all the time. But I truthfully, I could tell you this. I never truly went home and thought about like when's Joe Buck gonna leave cycle. So I, I mean, like not one time. I was completely content and happy doing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So I, I, I never thought about it because where does that get you? Like if you obsess over that, like what good does that do? Like I was, I, I was good and happy doing what I'm doing fortunate like feeling where where i was feeling on the number two crew and calling playoff games every other year so it really wasn't until he actually left that i was like holy shit maybe maybe i gotta maybe i get a chance at this right like i i mean i i, I knew i'd at least be in the mix and, and be in consideration yeah i just don't think you could i don't think you could sit there and do that to yourself every day and worry about that stuff you can't control it
1: so what was your reaction when you found out he was leaving for espn
2: i was st- stunned i mean you know Joe Buck was Fox, right, for a long, long time, and I, you know, we're friends, and I respect the hell out of him. He's been ultra supportive from the day I got here. So he told me, like, he reached out and told me, and I was like, "What? (laughs) Are you kidding?" And um, he was great. He's like, "Hey, man, I, I hope, I hope you, I hope you get, I hope you do the football for me. That would be, you know, you deserve it." And I was like, "Wow, thanks." Like, it didn't really sink in. Like when he when he told me, I was like. I just couldn't believe it. I, I guess I just never thought... I'd ne- I never thought of Fox without Joe. So when that all happened, it started to sink in and then just, yeah, like the chips started to fall and, you know, luckily, here I am, kind of nuts.
1: And he's telling you this before he has told the world this, that he's leaving the network?
2: This kind of happened when the the story broke. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, so I know I didn't... Put it this way. When there were rumors out there, I wasn't calling him or texting him, hey, man, you leaving? Like, that would be <laughs> ridiculous, right? I just... I just sat back when when the news came out, is when we talked.
1: Yeah, that seems like a rough mood. But hey, hey, you leaving, Joe? Yeah, I would, I would just wanted to check in. I would
2: never, right? I would never do that, Tim. And like I and and I respect him too much. And I, you know, like I, I could get it. Even when the rumors were out, I still didn't really believe it. So yeah, I just sat back and let it all happen. When he
1: leaves, do you go to management saying I want this job?
2: Uh, no, I mean, of course.
1: Or does someone do that on your behalf? I mean, well, I mean,
2: that's, that's why my, my that's why I pay my agent, right? I mean, like I'm, I'm just. I'm assuming he did it. (laughs) At least I hope he did it. Um, But no, I think, listen, I have a great relationship with everybody here. I I would like to think that they knew that. I didn't feel the need that I had to, you know, spend time and call my bosses and beg for the job. If they're going to give it to me, great. If not, okay. So, yeah, no, I just just sat back and watched it all unfold. You did a preseason game the other night, Mm Cardinals-Ravens.
1: Is there a difference mechanically in terms of who's in the booth doing the A game versus doing the B game?
2: Well, for the difference for us is we're working with a completely different crew, so yeah, that's definitely different i mean we're we're working with an unbelievable crew, and we worked with an unbelievable crew, but it's just different so it's it, the you know the reason why this weekend or uh, the you know the preseason game against the uh, the Cardinals was so good is because it allowed Greg and I just to get you know we're meeting all these new people um. So everyone we had known, everyone I had known for the last nine years is now different. And just styles, stylistically, there's differences, right? Like you're talking to someone different, they're talking to you, they're finding out what you like, I'm finding out what they like. So that's a, that is a big deal. Um, so it was great just to kind of get in and, and do that preseason game and start to get that process down and get comfortable with uh, your new crew. But the cool thing is it felt, felt normal. It didn't feel odd, didn't feel like, you know, didn't feel like, oh man, we got all this to work out. I mean, like, you know, of course it's going to, take a little bit of time to really get humming but it felt great like it felt like we've been with them for a long time which i think is all you could possibly ask for for one game the
1: producer richie
2: zients wrote a column for
1: foxsports.com and he said you guys are going to have to work on your in-game shorthand so what's in-game shorthand between broadcaster and the truck
2: yeah right uh yeah i saw that richie's richie's uh penning the uh the column which is pretty cool yeah it's it's um you know all the stuff that it's just the the chatter in game, right? And the biggest thing is like, what does Greg want to do? And how do how do we communicate that with the truck and the truck talking to Greg? And then, you know, it's all like, it's a constant, you'd be, maybe, maybe you wouldn't be, but I think most people will be amazed at how much talk there is during a game, right? Like how much they're talking to me, how much I'm talking to them on stuff. What's coming next? What do we want to do? Do we want to do this? I don't like that. Here's what we're going to do. And it's all happening like this. There's no edit button, right? So it's like, you know, the armchair quarterbacks, I can't believe they did this. Well, we had a split second to decide it, and we made the call, right? So you have to earn the trust. I have to earn Richie's trust, who's done six Super Bowls, and he has to earn my trust that hopefully, even though I haven't done the A game, that I hopefully I know what I'm doing, that I can handle it. So um, I think we're off to a great start. Like, it's been awesome so far, and I just can't wait to, you know, keep learning from them and kind of build that trust. It's fun.
1: So speaking of armchair quarterbacks, you're going to get a lot more scrutiny in this job than you did in the last job. What have you thought about that?
2: That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, you're right. There's no doubt. There's going to be more eyeballs. There's going to be more scrutiny. But, like, whatever. I, there, There is certain scrutiny that I care more about. And that is uh, that comes from the people who employ me and, like, my family and friends. Do I care about what, uh, you know, those armchair quarterbacks say? again we go back to everyone wants to be liked everyone wants to be likable so i hope more people like me than not but i can't control it and i can promise you i'm not gonna lose any sleep i mean we grew up you know i told you earlier in the pile, i grew up with a bunch of friends all we did was bust each other's chops so like i could take a jab you know don't be don't be vicious don't be you know because i got no time for that so i'm i'm not losing sleep over it man i could care less what somebody on twitter says that i suck good for you
1: you read twitter after a game
2: no way not um. interesting. I'll read Twitter, like, not my mentions because I know what the mentions say. Half of them, Cardinals, Ravens. Half of them, oh, you suck. You're rooting for the Ravens. You are terrible. Stop rooting for the Cardinals. I was like, wow, it's amazing. I'm rooted for... Two teams at the same time.
1: They say that during a preseason game, those guys come out during preseason. Oh, football. It's,
2: it's the same stuff. You and and by the way, you will get a lot of really cool stuff. Like that's the thing. Like there's, I've had a lot of great stuff and back and forth on Twitter. So it's like it kind of it stinks when like you get the vicious stuff because there's a lot of fun. I've even had people that I've, um, I've got, I've done it less and less because I just get tired of like the the I don't need the negativity. But I've I've had a lot of great back and forth on Twitter and like people who really are are awesome and even people that have like criticize me and I'm like, hey, man, uh, apologies, but like, you know, you're right, I messed it up or whatever. And, the, and then there's like a good back and forth, you know what I mean? So, like, it's all good. I, I, everyone's not going to love my style, love me. That's okay. As long as my boss does, I'm fine. <laughs> Fox, Fox
1: announced that Tom Brady is going to join the booth when and I guess if he stops playing football. Have you talked to Tom Brady since that announcement?
2: Texted with him. Yeah. And said what? That's for us. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's pretty wild, right? When that whole thing went down, it's kind of crazy, but, um, yeah, so, so, so we communicated and it was really nice and, um, he had some great things to say and, but listen, I, I got so much in front of me right now, Brian, I like this, there's, um, I got a year ahead on the eight crew and with a partner who i love and greg and uh, we got to call super bowl so no disrespect to tom i'm gonna see him and talk to him in production meetings i just so that's why it was cool that we we you know we texted and we had our thing and it was kind of like all right man see you during the year because i just there's nothing else i can do with that right now you know
1: yeah you didn't hit him up and say i got a great idea for our two shot (laughs) week one 2026
2: no no, i definitely did not do that that's that's exactly right
1: Kevin Burkhardt, thanks for coming on the Press Box.
2: It's uh, it's great to be on. Thanks for making the time. Appreciate it, Brian.
1: It's now time for the second weekly edition of David Shoemaker Guesses, the Strained Pun Headline. Yeah. Tuesday's headline about the boring Game of Thrones spinoff was more like House of Drag-On. Today's headline, David, comes from astute listener Tim Glass... It's from D Magazine in Dallas. D was reviewing a new Mexican restaurant in Dallas, concept that is very interesting to you and I. Turns out the restaurant is very flashy, seems very cool, but the food, pretty unimaginative. Culinary innovations at the Mexican, D notes, include guacamole, queso, tortilla soup, etc. etc. There are no moles, no nopales, etc et So we have a an unimaginative Mexican restaurant and I will just remind you that there is a Mexican dough called masa masa used to make tamales. What was D magazine's strain pun headline Mas, um,
0: God this has got to be so obvious and I'm not I cannot think of it masa um, masa.
1: Mm-hmm. No wow. imagination.
0: Though I know. Um, I looked at boring. the menu
1: and I did not see a single innovative or imaginative dish. Um, masa. <laughs> God, I have no. I mean idea. nothing. I mean zero dishes. Masa,
2: masa, mate. Um, masa nada.
1: Mayas. None.
0: I have no idea Masa
1: Masa of Masa I don't. of The answer is Masa of none
2: Oh Yeah I could not figure out what Masa was supposed to be That's a huge whiff Very
1: clever but very
2: hard to guess Yeah it's tough
1: In your defense He is David Shoemaker I'm Brian Curtis Production Magic by Erica Cervantes David and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media See you then David See you later Brian